1: and welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Once again, we've got a big show for you. We're going to start off with a special guest. We'll get through a few big things from the week as well, including a Mount Rushmore of rookie seasons. Our special guest coming up is Brad Webber. We'll talk about Andrew Hoare as well, the Blue CEO, who's talking about the governance of Super Rugby and how they could change... The way that the competition works, and of course, some time for your feedback. The usual customers with me, as ever, James Parsons in studio. Yeah, mate. And Bryn Hall, all the way over in Japan, on a winning streak and feeling good. Yeah, mate.
0: It's bloody good win against Panasonic. So, um, yeah, 47 games, I think they're unbeaten. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great ride, and the Shinkansen back home was a long two-hour ride. So, a few Bibbies, which was
1: really nice. And also joining us, Chiefs captain, All Black. On top of the table, Brad Weber. Things are going all right for you.
2: G'day, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while. Um, yeah, nah, things are things are going pretty well. Pretty happy with, with, with our start, obviously. And, um, geez, but I didn't actually catch any of the um the Japanese games on the weekend, but I didn't realize you beat Panasonic, mate. That's huge.
0: Yeah, it wasn't like We we owed them one. They beat us uh what, they beat us the second round in the last 30 seconds. So, um, yeah, it was a hell of a win. Like I said, uh, the Shinkansen home was pretty good. So if you ever do get over to Japan, mate, Shinkansen's, they, uh, they go pretty well, my friend. <laughs> you
1: strong
2: zeroes?
0: <laughs> yeah, just a few. Just a, just a few to get, get it going.
1: <laughs> Getting on the strongs. That's, that's, that's bad memories right there. Now, Brad, in the space of eight weeks, you guys have gone from dark horse to competition leaders, unbeaten favourites. Tell us a little bit about what that's been like within the camp, the body language, the way things are working so well.
2: Certainly there's a an air of confidence around with a lot of guys um, that comes with playing really well. And um, I think you're seeing a lot of those guys that are sort of around their sort of third or fourth Super Rugby season really stepping up and um, proving that they're meant to be here and, and taking that next step, which is really what we needed. Because I guess you always know what you're going to get out of your Brady Retellix, your Sam Caines. Um, but it was that next tier that um, I think was challenged to really step up this year, and a lot of them have, man. Uh, I mean, you look at just the guys in our back three at the moment, the confidence and the, the way they're playing, and um, a couple of young midfielders that are stepping up and playing really well as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's been pretty good at the moment. Things are running pretty pretty sweet.
3: I'm interested in the boys in front of you that are laying the platform, of course. Um, but yeah. it does look like it's a little bit less is more. Uh, they they look really um, clear in their head, not a lot of clutter, and looking to I suppose get that good set piece, but also that work around the breakdown and the defence.
2: You know, when those guys are really clear of mind, they can uh, you know just let instincts take over and um, play play what you see and play on top, which has been great. And you spoke about the breakdown work. I mean, that's really key for us. We we felt last year we got beaten up, um, particularly by the Crusaders and the Blues there and um, it really stifled our game and when you got the back line that, that we've got, you really need that, that good ball and I'd say our forward pack probably took that a bit personally actually and um, really wanted to do something about it and so far they've, they've really stepped up and um, given us some pr- relatively clean ball but yeah that full pack mate, like like you say, it's it's pretty special. I look look um, I look across to them every day and think, man, I'm glad they're on my team.
3: <laughs> I do have a follow-up question. I know you won't like sing- singling people out, but um, one player in particular uh Tupawai, obviously brody is is we know what we get with Brody, but some of his extra efforts, getting those um I suppose those line out turnovers on the weekend that led to big plays, um, you know, obviously pushing Boat and Barrett. Into that dead ball line, um, he seems to have come of age and really push, pushing his case for higher honours and more minutes.
2: Mate, he's been seriously impressive this season. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. He's um, yeah doing a lot of those things that I guess don't take talent; it's all attitude and effort, and that's what you love to see a lot. Like it doesn't get uh, seen a lot on the tally by the punters, but we in behind the scenes when we're reviewing games, we absolutely love it and celebrate it as much as possible and. Mate, he's uh he's a serious footballer, one of the one of the best athletes I've seen running around. And um even things like a, he's got a big, fast, explosive left foot step that he's uh made a few people look silly on. And you talked about all those um little things, the the line out turnovers on the weekend and um forcing Bodie into into the end goal a couple of weeks ago. It's just uh it's huge. And yeah, we've always known Toops' talent. It's been pretty clear to see. Um but he's putting in the work and and fulfilling his potential and some. So it's, uh, it's great to see. And it's obviously had a huge benefit for us.
0: I think it was maybe 2020 or 2021 year, the COVID year. You had a lot of injuries and a lot of young guys through that kind of period. And now you're kind of reaping the rewards of that kind of consistency. What has Clayton brought to that group? Because you can definitely see you guys are a lot more um, consistent. Um, you've got a real stern, I uh, guess, work ethic behind you. And um, I'd just like to see what Clayton's kind of done since that kind of going from Warren Gatlin to his transition?
2: Um, Yeah, it's a good question, Brennan.
0: You're you're right about your first
2: point. Like, we went on that massive losing streak in 2020 and 2021, had a lot of injuries, and it forced a lot of those young guys um, to get a lot more game time than they probably would have got had there not been those injuries. And, yeah, we lost games, but we built a hell of a lot of depth. And now that we've got a lot of guys that that are healthy, touch wood, um, you know, we're sort of reaping the benefits. I mean, we just talked about Tupova there. He, he was a 19 year old kid back then. Mm. And now we're sort of seeing the benefit of all that game time. Um, you know, Samasani Tokyo is another one. Um, so many of these guys that were forced to to play more and um, thrown in the deep in a little bit. And now we're reaping the benefits. Um, and then you talk about Clayton, mate. He's, um yeah, he's been really, really impressive as a, as a head coach for me. He's, um, He's got a really good eye for um, for little bits of detail in our game that we're not quite getting right. I think, I don't know, me especially, I probably look at a lot of big picture, our whole attack shape, our strikes and stuff, What's what we didn't do well, what we are doing well. He looks even further in depth than, than I would ever think. And um, so, like, he really uh, challenges the, the boys there and, yeah, um, you're talking about like bringing a bit of steel. Well, he's, he certainly demands it. And um, he, he's just a, he's just got that aura about him that he just kind of demands respect and you, you got to really um do what he says or the big cop in him will come out and, and uh, come down on you. So you don't want to let the big man down, but mate, he's, um he's been really good, man. He's uh a hell of a head coach and he's been, he's been great for us since he's come in.
1: Do the reviews look like a forensic investigation today?
2: Uh,
3: derogation <laughs> <laughs> sometimes,
2: <laughs> yeah. You like, you, he's probably asking you a question like cops do, you know, and they, they know if you're lying, <laughs> so you can't bullshit.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Fair enough. Uh, you mentioned kind of the respect he has in the room, there is something about Amana on the man. You know what I mean? And for our Northern Hemisphere viewers, Mana's, it's respect. It's, I suppose, it's it's the aura that you carry because of the respect that you carry. He has that in spades, doesn't he? Was that from the day one, from the moment he walked in, you guys were just like, well, this guy's got something?
2: I think so. A lot of us had um, had a bit to do with him when he was the Māori, Māori, uh All Blacks head coach and sort of knew what he brought then. And then, um, obviously, with the Chiefs region having a very strong um, connection with, um, Waikato Tai and and the rest of the the tribes around the Chiefs region. Um, he was pretty huge in that respect in terms of connecting with the community and that sort of thing. So I, I guess he naturally brings a bit of um, bit of respect and mana there. And um, but I guess we also see now like all the the hard of the work he does, particularly at the start of the week in terms of setting mindset and for the week and and for the for the season, he's just got a really good feel on. Um, where the squad's at, what, what individual needs are, like what certain guys need to be pushed certain ways and others need to be um, treated differently. I, uh, it's a really uh, impressive skill that I don't think everybody has, but he certainly got it. And um, to be honest, like as a captain with Sam, I don't feel like we have to do that much because um, he nails a lot of where the squad's at. And, you know, a lot of the time, like, if he would come with, to us with an idea, we end up just being like, yep, we agree with that. Like, it's pretty spot on. So, mm. um, yeah, he makes life pretty good for us. We can just focus on on leading the group and um, on the field and stuff like that. So, mate, yeah, I love, you can probably tell I can't really speak much more highly of the bloke.
3: What the best head coaches always do is they surround themselves with potentially – Um, their their weakness so they've got that great self-awareness and and he's brought in someone like Paul Feeney who's got massive amount of experience across Super Rugby and across World Rugby how have you found him coming into the group? Have you been coached by Renner? I I certainly have I certainly have
2: Yeah He's a unique character isn't he? He's He's uh, Full of energy uh, But he's He's been great. Like, and especially when we lost um another character like uh Neil Barnes, he was great with the group. Um, Rad has really fitted in seamlessly. And I think Doncan worked a little bit with um with Paul um at Bad Plenty a, a few years ago. So they've obviously got a bit of history there. But like he's he's been great. And like like you mentioned around um surrounding surrounding yourself with like good uh guys that cover up your weaknesses or whatever, but a lot of our assistant coaches have been fantastic. Like, I've been seriously impressed with, with Roger Randall and um, the attacking shapes that he has come up with this, this season for us really suits our team profile. And I think you're sort of seeing um, yeah. a lot of that freedom because of the the game plan that, he, that he's brought to us for, at the start of preseason. And we all believe in it and it's been great. And then um, has jumped on a little bit around counter-attack and, and exits and brought his little flavor that all suits. And then um, David Hill's been a um, defense coach and that's come along, obviously, leaps and bounds from from a few years ago. So they're certainly, uh, as a group, working really well together and um, I didn't even mention Ross Filippo and um, Mick White. They're um, they're going pretty good too. Floss has been a great addition to us as well. I mean, he does lineouts and mauls and stuff. I don't really know what he's doing, but I'm sure he's doing something it's good working. because it's going all right.
0: <laughs> Just on there, Brad. Obviously, um, probably a little bit different for you guys in your in your Chiefs uh, tenure, having obviously um, going undefeated and being um, the favourites. You have to think for the Super Rugby title. How have you guys been managing those expectations within the group? I know you'd obviously be getting your preparation week to week, but I guess more so in your leadership group. How are you guys trying to? Um, I guess keep the keep the team on on week to week kind of mindset. Yeah, it's um, it's actually an
2: interesting question Brenner. Um I guess it's got two interesting ones. We really want to keep keep growing the uh the confidence in the group. Like it's it's high and and we're trying to really celebrate the areas that we're leading the competition in and continue to grow that area so we stay on top. But I don't think um I guess favoritism for the the title or anything like that has been spoken about at all yet. Um did you guys speak about it much through your six years? I mean, I know it's a
3: slightly different
0: uh, say, mate, I thing, but
2: maybe a, we could learn. I it. just out a bit it, of
0: bait. Yeah. I was throwing out a bit of bait from all the teams, mate. I'm just trying to get a bit of bait out of you so you're passing the test very well.
3: I'm going to jump outside of my lane uh, here, Brad, mm-hmm. and, and talk about that 9 combo that you've got going at the moment. Uh, pretty special. Uh, Damien's playing the house down. I'm just keen to know what's working for you, but also what are the areas you guys are looking to get better at?
2: Damien and I have... Played together for, I think this might be our tenth year together. So, I guess naturally you, um, you kind of act a, act a little bit on, on instinct. And I sort of know where he's going to be or what he's looking for in different situations. So that that's really helped. Like, um, certainly, like he's. Well, we've both come a long way since our uh, uh, Waikato days in twenty fourteen and fifteen. I think we would just try and. Run ourselves out of trouble every every situation we could get, we'd get ourselves into a fair bit of trouble as well. But geez, we'd score some fun tries, uh, right, doing that style as well. But, um, obviously, you can't get away with that much in at super rugby level. And, um, what I've been really impressed with Damien in particular is um, his game management, um, uh, that he's really grown. Sorry, my bloody look at this, right? My cat's trying to get in the picture. This <laughs> <laughs> Can we start that one again?
1: Is it still a time? <laughs> yeah. That would have been good. <laughs>
2: um, you know, when things aren't going so well, when we've had a couple of, uh, you know, I guess negative game line carries, what do we do? Those sorts of situations that we're constantly trying to get better. And that's the thing that we talk about the most together is, um, Leading the team around the park, and I think you're seeing it with Damien's um, triple threat at the moment. His his kicking game's been fantastic. He's put on, put us in some great positions and put other teams under a lot of pressure with his kicking game. Um, and then he can obviously run when he sees a. A knife for a gap and he's got a great passing game as well so yeah he's really turning into the full package he's not just um, the chaotic runner that um, we used to see Um, he's still got that in him and creates things out of nothing which we love and we want to keep um, encouraging him to do that Um, and now he's just really got the balance
1: I was interested in how you run the following support lines for Damien how you know you're going to get to the right place for the ruck when he doesn't know where he's going either the short answer is I actually don't know either (laughs) But
2: I will just, I literally, if I see him about to do what he's going to do, I'll just sit right in the defensive line and just be ready to sprint either way and ke- either catch up with him or get back to the ruck if he's been caught. So, yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's like a guy on an adventure without a map, but... <laughs> so it works for him.
0: <laughs> Christian, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, when you have those individual battles, whether it be Perinar or Smith, you know, the likes of Cam Roygaard that's come up through on the weekend has been a bit of hype. How do you try and um, approach those weeks when you know you've got a big opponent coming up, like a, an all-black incumbent? Is there a different process that you go with trying to, obviously, you want to play well in those moments, but does it change a lot? Anything change a lot when you're playing those half I
2: reckon I used to a lot. Uh, and I probably. It would probably consume me a little bit um four or five years ago and I'd often not play that well. Um now I just like you you'll understand this, Bretter. Like when the team goes well and the team goes forward, the, the nine tends to go pretty well as well. So I try and focus on my on my job and steering the, the team around and letting that like letting the team work do the talking for me. Um and I know that if I do my core roles right. I can let my um, points of difference um, shine if, that, if those situations ever come with, the, with my running lines and support lines and my speed and stuff. So, um, yeah, there's some great nines coming around the country at the moment playing some really good rugby, man. It's, um, so you've got to be on your toes. You can never um, think your spot is, is locked in at all. So, um, yeah, and so you mentioned Cam before. I obviously played him on the weekend and he's um, having a hell of a season. Um Putting a lot of pressure on a lot of guys. So
1: Brad, you're talking about the good halfbacks around the country. What we want to know is your best halfbacks of all time. We're going to go into a Mount Rushmore later in the show, a Mount Rushmore of best rookie seasons ever. But before we get there, your Mount Rushmore of halfbacks, who are the four guys that you just, you know, above all else, just rate?
2: Okay. So Brad Weber and Bryn Hall will be first to them. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, I'll answer this seriously, I guess. Um, I still love George Gregan. So he'd be on there. that that probably piss a few people off at home watching this. Um Aaron Smith's gotta be on there. Nuggie's gotta be on there, change the game. Um and then for me, uh used fund of in South Africa. Mm. And my last one would be uh Augustine Pichot from Argentina. Mm-hmm. You'll see a bit of a theme there for me. I used sort to of like the smaller guys that um, punch <clears> above their weight, so they were always my favourites. They're on my mountain Rushmore.
3: Yes, good. Yeah, I like oh that. Oh, man, I'm all for it. I'm I like all for that. it. It's, it's, I don't want to step like out of my that. lane yeah. again, so I'll just keep my powder dry.
0: Oh, is that similar to yours, Brent? Yeah. I had two of them. I had Nuggie um, and George Gregan, um, but then I had – you can't go past the pond. I know he's obviously before his time. He's probably got a lot more to go, but – Man, we talk about revolutionizing the game. Uh, We've said a lot on this this podcast around how he's changing the game and how, I guess, halfbacks are perceived at the moment. But then I also had Fury the Prayer. I used to love watching Fury the Prayer for um, South Africa. I think, you know, a a World Cup winner uh, was really good around game management. Brad touched on it with with halfbacks. I think his game management, along with George Gregan, you'd have to arguably say they were the top two around the world. So. Pretty similar, two out of the four, but um, still so be a yeah, P shot. I love the P shot call. He was great for um, Argentina. So it's a good call from Brad.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining us, mate. Before we go, let's give a mention to your Give a Little page. You've teamed up with the Hawke's Bay Foundation to do a Give a Little page to give back to the people of your region post cyclone. That's going pretty well.
2: Yeah. And I really appreciate you guys giving it a shout out on here. And um, I think it was done pre um on the weekend too, which has really helped with the reach and got a few big donations out of that. So I really appreciate it. But yeah, it's, it's going really well. I think I set a goal initially of about 10 grand and it's, it's ticked over that already. So I'm going to have to um, rethink on, maybe reach for a bit higher than that, um, but no, it's going really well. And, um Gareth Evans and um and I gave away our um 50th super rugby jerseys as a as a package to anyone that donated um we sort of put it all in a raffle and, and raffled that off and um a guy that um put in i think bought like five basically put in 25 bucks he ended up winning them so that's that's pretty cool that was the reason <laughs> we did it we wanted to give everybody a, a crack at um being able to win them and um yeah it's going to a great cause the Hawke's Bay Foundation there um, putting the money to where it's needed most. I've um, put a few hundred thousand dollars to rural mental health, um, which has been huge for the people around there that are um, they have lost everything rurally in Puketapu and Eastdale, and, Estale, and um, they're doing a hell of a lot more more else um, as well. Um, and yeah, I guess th- through the season, I'm personally donating a couple of bucks for every pass that I make, and i will be making a fair few recently, That'd so it's costing me a fair bit. But <laughs> got run a bit. Um, I'm encouraging. <laughs> Encouraging people to, to jump in with me. Um, either a dollar or two dollars a pass. And I'm putting up one of my all blacks test jerseys um for people that do that. So um they've got a chance to win one of my um worn test jerseys. I don't have too many of them, they mean a lot to me. So um I'll be giving one of those away. And then um I've got a few other things as well. Samasoni Tokyo gave me a signed All Blacks jersey to raffle off to people that donate as well, and um Ruby Tui actually gave me one of her signed. Sevens, Blackfell and Sevens jerseys to give away as well. So there'll be a few more things. Keep an eye on my socials and get amongst and um, donate to a bloody good cause that's going to a lot of people that
1: need it. Well, Brad, the Zoom uh, meeting is about to kick us off. So we need to count down 13, 12, 11. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you for helping out that cause, mate, and good luck. Go all the way as far as I'm concerned. Thank <laughs> hey,
2: Jim. Thanks
1: for that, mate. Appreciate you. <laughs> See you, fellas. See you, mate. Good on you, Brad. Good on you, bro. A big thanks to Brad Webber for joining us and talking all about the Chiefs and how well they're going. Chippo, wow, that's second half. You know, the stats during the game were saying that the Canes are a second-half team and the Chiefs, they're a first-half team. Yeah, Didn't well, turn out that way. No, not at all.
3: And I, I, I made mention to the people I was watching it with that exactly that. Like, the Canes will come over the top normally, but... Um, I suppose we saw that against the Blues and their other loss, but they just couldn't get their game going. And if you look at the stats, there's one area that uh, the Chiefs were almost double, and and that was their kicking stats. So They're around 1,100 meters, I think it's uh, yeah 1,142 meters versus about 680. So they came with a clear tactic that they were going to play at the right end of the field. Um, but <clears throat> I'd say probably. Th- Two of the tries that sort of turned the game was on the back of errors from the Hurricanes, obviously a long-range try, but then the Koteas, uh, Ratamas one, at that 60-minute mark, giving that scrum and then him scoring, sort of turned the game on its head and, um, you know, meant the Hurricanes were probably chasing and, and they, they sort of put themselves in a the position and they probably didn't deserve to be in just through that one area, especially at line-out time. There was two mistakes at line-out time that led to those tries.
1: Mm. Bryn, did you feel like it was kind of a man-from-the-boys kind of moment there with the two top teams on the table?
0: I think it was, and I just think, um, I think the, the Chiefs' defense in the, in the second half was was outstanding. I think they were tackling at 89%, but I think the amount of times you look at that kind of 68-74th to 74th minute, the Hurricanes were down in that 22-area um, zone and weren't able to get over the try line. And you're talking around that overthrow, but our Ratima kicks it, um, the, goes to the end of the, the goal zone um, from coast to coast, and then they end up scoring a try off that um, in the 74th minute, so... The Hurricanes definitely had the opportunities, but I think um, Roger Randall had it on at, at half time around um, the physicality and not getting that. And I think the ill discipline, that ill discipline, nine penalties in that first half, been able to give opportunities for um the hurricanes to attack. And then they shored that up with only five in the in the second half. And um yeah, I thought Damien McKenzie, again, um you'd have to argue you say he's the best 10 running around the competition with. How he's influencing the game—not only that 50-meter goal kick, which I thought was pivotal in that moment of the game, but then, you know, that last try then the 77th minute to put the icing of the game—he's um, in a rich rain of form, and I think arguably he's booked his ticket to a Rugby World Cup for sure.
3: You, you mentioned the defence, Brendan, and I think you're right around that physicality because the Hurricanes are every week—they're sort of 55-plus side in terms of game line with uh, ball in hand. We know they're power athletes. You saw Adi; I thought Duplessis Carifi was massive on the weekend brother Julian and, and you could go on through that team but the Chiefs kept them to 45.9% gain line which is r- like really low for that Hurricanes side with the power athletes I've got so that physicality and that defensive pressure definitely was a big part it wasn't just the uh, I suppose pouncing on the Hurricanes mistakes that that won this game it was it was that sort of attrition throughout the 80 minutes really really I suppose sucked the the tank dry and, and stopped um, the Hurricanes behind the game, which is not an area they're probably used to in the first few weeks of this comp.
1: A lot of that comes down to your mates up front.
3: Oh yeah, oh yeah yeah, absolutely, but I also think um, you've got to give a bit of credit to um, Poi Hippie and um, Rona. I, I think, you know, probably not guys that you would have penciled in to be in the 12 and 13 jersey and man, they're making a great fist of it both sides of the ball and I think you know that 13 jersey in particular, and most teams defensively, is probably a key cog in terms of being able to know and read the guys inside and out. Um, but yeah, numbers one to eight uh, are doing the business, and, and the guys that are coming off the bench and adding the impact. Uh, I just think just shows you competition for spaces. Uh, World Cup year, you know, All Black jersey uplay. Like it is bringing the best out of you know every number in that Chiefs outfit at the moment.
1: Brynn, for me, yep. when I look at that Chiefs pack, you know, it's not necessarily that they're all superstars, but they've all been there for a while now. They've spent some time yep. together. They know each other, they know their role. It's kind of a maturation and a payoff on investment from the Chiefs.
0: When Warren Gatlin was selected in that 2020 year, they had a lot of injuries in that first bulk of that 2020 year, and they had a lot of guys that were able to like, with the likes of Arcoy, Finau, like those kind of players in the um and even Tupova, young Tupovae. You know, they'll give an experience at that kind of at that kind of time period. And now what are we now? Three years later, and all those guys have been able to experience big footy, footy games and been able to add more experience in their games with, with game with games and matches. So um, yeah, I think you know, you look at Peter Gusto kula I thought he was great on the weekend, you know, probably hasn't been where he wanted to. But, you know, with the competition of Fee now and that loose four trio, you know, guys coming back like him, like Peter Gus coming on, having a great game, um, it's adding depth into that squad. And I think um, we've talked about it a lot, especially in the back end of the season, you've got to be having all the the depth in your squad because if there are injuries, um, they've proven um, that they have the ability to be able to use, whether it be the starting eight or then the guys that are just outside the fringe, come on and make an impact. You can see that clearly with that, um, with that Chiefs forward pack at the moment.
1: And for you as an NRL fan... <laughs> I remember Daniel Anderson saying that he reckons it takes 50 NRL games for a player to be you know, really super valuable to an NRL squad. How long do you think it takes a super rugby player to reach the point where they have the knowledge of the game, that they bring that kind of value?
3: Yeah, I think obviously because we have a number of teams, it's definitely not 50. I think you've been around quite a long time by the time you get to 50 super games. Um, so it's probably around... Two and a half seasons, 50 NRL games. So I think you're looking around that sort of 25-30 that they're starting to come on their own and, and really mature. And um, yeah, I think you can see that a lot if we use the Blues as an example, a lot of those players that are now reaching.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. That sort of 25, 30
3: cap range, sometimes 40 um, are, are really coming of age.
0: I think some positions are a little bit easier to probably um, get a grasp on it. Like I think probably outside backs is one where you've seen a lot of stories of guys coming in straight away and being able to perform very, very well. I think inside backs, myself as an example, I probably think it takes a, just a touch a little bit longer. There's so many game management things and understandings, I, I think for me, probably it was my fourth or fifth year that I really got a good grasp defensively and an attacking um, understanding of how to how to win games and, and those kind of scenarios. But I think for most positions, really, I, I agree with Jip, is that two, two to maybe three seasons of being able to understand what situations are like in rugby and then being able to go implement and play your game at a high level.
3: Unfortunately, because the reality is there's a long line behind you. I think if you haven't done it by two to three seasons, you're probably not going to have a contract in the fourth. Right to be ruthless, yeah. like that's that's the environment we live. In. And I think it's the same in NRL. Like it's two to three seasons, and that's probably that mark that Daniel Anderson. And if you're not making it, you you can obviously get dropped down to a, a different level. Where you won't get signed. I think when you're at that twenty-five to thirty, you have the the mental ability to know that one mistake doesn't make a game, and you can switch in um, to your next role pretty pretty quickly. And and because your skill set's there. You don't get to that level and select it if you don't have the skill set. It's just, I think you learn to control your own own thoughts and your own mind um, so that you can execute straight after a mistake because you're going to make them.
0: I think the more time as an inside back that you're out there, you're experiencing things, you're going to have your, your licks, but at the same time you learn from the experience and then once you get to that kind of 30, 40 game, you've been in different scenarios. Hopefully if you've been successful, you understand what that looks like, and then, um, again, it just becomes second nature, and then you're able to influence and um, play more consistently, especially in the inside backs pairing.
1: Sometimes people just hit the scene, and they're just on fire, and Miracle Whailangi is that guy this year from Wider Pacifica. They went down 2840, 40 but, boy, he's an athlete.
3: Yeah, what I like most about him, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but a lot of the plays that he becomes involved in that becomes the highlight or he's on the end for tries is is just his work off the ball to put himself in that position. Like A lot of players would give up on a lot of support lines that he's shown up for not just on the weekend but previous games Um, and I think it's his want and his desire and his love for the game. Like He's just doing it with a smile on his face um, and he's he's prepared to go to that dark place to put himself in a position to, to make a difference and you can just see him growing in confidence. He is just getting better and better each week but it's also the players around him are growing in confidence with him so he's becoming more of a key cog uh, but probably more so in their their attacking game and, and utilising his sort of like um, um, I'm trying to think who who to liken him liken him to but. He's just got that uh, maybe like an Isaac Ross in between, like an Isaac Ross, and maybe um, more of a Jerome Kaino. Like he's just got that rangy way about him. He's 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 not um, physically massive, but I think the more time he spends in in the professional area, he'll get bigger and bigger towards more of the Jerome. But he just seems like a, a, a sort of in between, um, you know, sort of a power athlete, but also has the ability to have that grunt.
0: He's pretty similar to Via Fafita, I thought. Yeah, <laughs> that's,
3: a, yeah, that's
1: how excellent.
3: It's almost like for like, actually. You remember that game um, Fafita played um, against Argentina, Argentina and he like almost, yeah. like, the, it's just the long legs and the, and it's the, the speed they can get up to, but then they've got that physical presence as well. And I feel like Miracle's just one of those players that now, you know, being in a full-time professional environment and having access to that coach, um, you know, coaching ability, it, it has been massive for his, you know, Pretty quick progression um, yeah. at Super Rugby level great, against some, you know, formidable loose forwards. Uh, um, you know, especially that Reds team. They were they they were on fire, and he's you know, talk about guys that I, I call Fraser McWright the little mini Hooper. He's like, you know, he's the best um, supports line. You know, sort of that sort of speed star, gets over the breakdown. Um, so and he's he's mixing it with the big boys, uh, miracles. So it's it's exciting.
1: If you've missed the Miracle Failangi story, it's a pretty interesting one. Like he was a Sevens player, but he got picked up into this team, Moana Pacifica, out of a combine, a World Rugby combine. So this is the system working finding a talented player, getting them into Super Rugby. MP picked him up, and here we are. He's having a rookie season to die for. So all of this conversation has led to this another Mount Rushmore. Okay, so what we really want to get to the bottom of is the Mount Rushmore of rookie seasons, the best seasons we've seen, your first year at the top level of first class outside of test matches. So, boys, let's set some ground rules. <laughs> set some ground rules. So it's got to be your first year in first class rugby I know Jip, you got some problems. <laughs> I was thinking post ninety six, so we had the same setup across the board, but you're thinking Well I'm just learning mine? from my mistakes. Yeah. And last time we, we went a
3: bit new age. So yeah. I'm just I'm just saying I'm gonna I'm gonna have a, a wide scope um, in terms and I, I mean I suppose it's more um, it's gonna be more players that I grew up watching. Um, but yeah, I know I know we we may need to agree to disagree. Mm. Um, on that one, and we'll just move forward with our own... I, I mean, I think you could have, you know, 20 of these. Yeah, I mean, the, you and I were having a bit of fun on Saturday <laughs> with how many we could come up with, and it's actually been very hard to, to get it down to four.
1: OK, to make it a little bit easy for us, because we're not super old, and we also can't watch every rugby game in the entire world, we're making it New Zealand-based rookie seasons. And rookie season... I, I was going to be soft on this, but Jip is going a little bit harder... Rookie seasons has got to mean the very first time you played super rugby. So even if you came off the bench in one game, that is your rookie year. <laughs> so that's ruled out Rupini thaltham who played one game for the Blues in 2003, or 2002, scored yeah. two tries in that game, but the next year went absolutely gangbusters. Yeah. Um, it's a second season. That's a second season. Sorry, <laughs> Rupenny. You're not in this. It was an amazing second season, but that's a second season because we've got some pretty hard taskmasters in here. Um, did you know we only played 14 games all know, up for the Bulls? I know, I know. That's 14.
3: incredible, was it? A penny. That, that 3
1: That's it. Only 14? Yeah, if you think yeah. about a legacy left by least games, if we did a Mount Rushmore oh. <laughs> of that, there's no doubt that he's, he's in it. Because, he's in it. Wow. I okay, see. so with all of that said who <laughs> jipper is on your Mount Rushmore right um,
3: in no particular order I went uh, Christian Cullen um, Yeah, he was massive in, in his breakout year and obviously making the All backs.
1: 96 yeah Richie McCaw then again he did play 94-95 NBC before um, the Central Vikings yeah yeah so yeah, not first yeah, division yeah. so,
3: so I just I, I don't okay. know no no, no offence to the Central Vikings but, <laughs> um, so I've got Cullen in there uh, Richie McCaw obviously uh, first-year Crusaders and then went on to the All Blacks. Uh, Sean Fitzpatrick, um, so 86. And then obviously Andy Dalton went down and he went into the ABs and the rest is history. And then I think the pinnacle of it, um,
1: Jonah Lomu. So two wingers to finish off there.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Fitzy, Fitzy still had the graft up front. He did, <laughs> he did know how, he was, he was the, the first version of Dane Coles.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good team.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with it. Yeah, There's a, um, you know, some legends in there. Two pretty good uh, skippers too.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, to be fair, Jonah had some tough times in his first season. But he got there. But you he know, got there in 95. He got there. He got it, there in 94,
3: mate. <laughs> 94, got him into the All Blacks. It was good enough for me.
1: Okay. Okay, great. Youngest ever All Black. That's pretty, yeah. pretty solid. What Going you, from bring... number eight to wing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a couple of
0: similar ones. Um, I've gone McCoy. I think you can't go past Richie. I think having him in the, in the Mount Rushmore was good as well. Um, I met Brady Retallick his 2012 um, year. I think when he came on the scene, he was probably p- pretty pivotal. Pivotal in that um, that Chiefs that Chiefs first one and overall one. And then I've also gone. When Dan Carter, I think as well, he was, he was pretty good around um, his first experience about getting to get into the All Blacks in his debut. I know he obviously went for Canterbury, but correct me if I'm wrong. He did go from Super Rugby straight into the All Blacks, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah, yes, he did. Yep. And then last, I've actually gone for Sevi Reese. His year that he had in 2019, he was not con- not contracted. He came in as a training member, um, ended up making his, his debut for the Crusaders, debuted for the All Blacks, and then finished off that year playing in a semi-final, starting in 2019. So. Um yeah, he had a hell of a year in his in his debut year, which I thought, you know, starting at super rugby. So that's my um my Rushmore right there.
1: That is pretty solid. Reese is a good outsider. I'm going with Nehem milner Scudder twenty fifteen out of rugby league into rugby, straight into the all blacks wins a World Cup. And was World Rookie Player of the Year. World Rookie Player of the Year, and we barely saw him again afterwards. He, you know, had a lot of injuries, but, geez, did he burn bright. He did. Absolutely bright. So he's definitely in mine. Christian Cullen, 96, what else do you have to say? I suppose the hard part for me was, what do you do with the tight forwards? Because, like you said earlier, outside backs, I think Bryn said it, actually, outside backs come in and can shine bright immediately because that's the nature of the role. So do you actually do a waiting here for tight forwards and say an outstanding first year for a tight forward slash loose forward is actually worth more uh, in a way because it's so much harder to make a name for yourself?
3: Yeah, look, I definitely think um, tight forwards, you very rarely see it. And most of the ones that do make the All Blacks in their rookie year actually have gone on to be some of our greatest um, ever tight forwards, so... Uh, you can wait it too, but, I mean, it's just a bit of fun. I think everyone will have um, their difference, differences. But, I mean, I can think of one that I left out and um, I'm sure he's filthy on me is, is Tony Woodcock. Um, but, you know, it's 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 tough to whittle it down to four.
1: <laughs> Tony <laughs> Woodcock wouldn't be filthy on you. He'd be embarrassed to be named and not want the attention.
3: <laughs> no, no, don't, don't, don't misunderstand this, Woodcock. He likes the limelight. Oh, really? No, I'm
1: joking. <laughs> <laughs> so, to finish off my squad... Brody Retallick, 2012, yeah. won Super Rugby, straight into the All Blacks, and has been a sensation ever since. Like, there, have you heard that story about Brody, copping a couple of knocks in his first couple of trainings and realizing how to go hard at training, and then goes around smashing people from <laughs> there on in? And from that moment, see you later, the world. This guy is, on the list for greatest lock of all time. Absolutely. So Brody Retallick is definitely in there for me, and then. I wanted as a little, little dark horse here, in a way, because as a back, he wasn't like the sensation scoring tries or all those kind of things. He was the glue guy. The glue. Conrad Smith, 2004, first year for the Hurricanes, straight into the All Blacks and was basically the All Blacks starting centre from there on in. No fuss, no nonsense. Didn't have all this hoopla or anything like that about him. Just did his job well and then did it until he, you know, left.
3: But also allowed others to do their job very well. Yeah. Which I think was his biggest um, superpower in, in the teams he played and um, you know and, and I suppose he's he's come in with no fuss. He left the game with no fuss and, and still uh pretty pretty happy go lucky guy that's still contributing to you know rugby around the world.
1: Yeah. Uh, highly recommended. Jo Yeah that's two thousand three the only reason, Milner Scudder got the World Cup titles, so it went with him. But those first two years, Joe Rocathoco. Oh. Whew, all those tries. It was just tries galore. Yeah. What
0: was his strike rate? Well, his strike rate was unreal. Early on, it was I ridiculous. I think
1: he scored like 14 or 17 or something in his first year yeah. of Pears Rugby. Like, it was crazy. It was definitely over two, his, his first
3: year. He was yeah. scoring more than two a game. It was um, nuts. Sam Whitelock's another yeah. yeah. one. Yep, yeah. he he's hard to leave out. Like, um, you know, young man, type five, mm. you know, straight into the All Blacks, and you know he hasn't gone anywhere. So, as I say, those type five members, the ones that actually do make it, normally, you know, they have to be pretty special to get into that that engine room.
1: Well, he got rid of Ali Williams. I mean, yeah, Ali, well, Williams Ali Williams is
3: another one. Yeah, made the All Blacks in his first year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
1: There's um, plenty on there. That's right. Um, but not Rupenny Thout Thou and Booth, unfortunately. It got very, <laughs> well, very Seve
3: Severus could be in the similar boat, you know? <laughs> Played a lot of years for, you know, MPC. Uh, but I'll let you have it, Bryn. I'll let you have it. It's a nice story. It's, it's a like, nice
0: story. It was a super rugby. I was like, well, I'm lucky, I'm lucky here.
3: I've been I'm fended lucky. off by Severus well before 2019. I can give you the tip. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, at least you were there to be fended. Yeah, well, well, I grabbed ear, He sort of disappeared.
1: Uh, yeah, off he went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so plenty of Blues players on that, actually. Um, interestingly, there was a really good discussion with Andrew Hoare from the Blues, the CEO. Uh, a different Andrew Hoare for those of you who are watching internationally. Not Andrew Hoare, the former All Blacks hooker. Andrew Hoare, the businessman who used to run the Waratahs and now runs the Blues. He comes on and he's grinding an axe, really. He was really pushing a point about basically super rugby clubs being able to govern themselves, to build their own brands, to build the competition, and to not have the competition simply act as an all-blacks trial. He reckons the current model is set up. So basically, the all-blacks make the money, the money funnels down, and everything else is set up to make the all-blacks succeed. And he feels super rugby won't succeed until they approach super rugby as a competition that deserves to succeed by itself and pay its own way, what was your reaction to that?
3: Um, I, I'm probably not surprised, to be honest. Like um, you can understand it from a Super Rugby CEO's point of view, having you know full control um, of you know sort of their setup and environment, and, and they want to go about winning titles. And I'm sure that probably the other four CEOs think the same, and it's the same across the ditch. Um, but you know, with everything. Uh, with that comes, if you look at use French rugby and you know release windows and all those sorts of things, you know what impact does it have? You know, similar to what we've sort of spoken about previously, like with every string you pull, there will be consequences. Um, so potentially, maybe there's there's a there's a middle ground uh, to be met somewhere, and, and and maybe having you know certain um, governance structures for the competition as a whole, or, or whatever it may look like. Moving forward, but at the moment it's a license agreement, and um, that's that's the world we live in. And and I think you know it's it's not a bad thing that someone's challenging the way because that's how change comes about, and that's how we potentially get to a better um, situation for the game as a whole. Um, but you can see his motives, like you know he's really he wants this product to be the very best version of it. Bring fans back stadiums, bring eyes back to the TV screens. And, um, you know, he's a really passionate man and and he's seriously motivated for for what he wants to achieve, not only at the Blues, but actually for this competition
1: as a whole. Does the competition as a whole need to be able to be free of being a trial for the All Blacks? I mean, that's basically what we spend our time on this show talking about. You
3: know, players do need a rest, like especially when you're playing this amount of time. Um, Whether they want the autonomy to run when that rest is... um, I suppose NZR feel it is an inclusive pro- process. Obviously, um, you know maybe they don't feel that way, but um, it, that can't just be the only motivator. Mm. You know, there must be other motivators uh, in terms of. Uh, I mean, he talks about governance. that has got nothing to do with load management. So yeah. there's there's other elements to it. I'm probably not you know in a position to know enough information to make make a call on you know whether it would work or not, but as I say, I stress that you, you need people to challenge things to get change, because sometimes change can
1: be the best thing for everyone. Right, maybe to frame the question in a different way for you then, Bryn, as a player, did you feel that there was enough focus on super rugby as a standalone competition within New Zealand, enough of it to allow it to succeed to the point where stands are full and the promotion is right and all of those elements?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I think, yeah, I think so. I think the problem I find is the competitiveness and probably the competition itself, you know, and that's not to say that um, Super Rugby isn't a great brand. Watching there has been innovation and in around um, trying to make the game better, which we've seen this year. But, you know, I just look at the difference between um, the competition in the Northern hemisphere and to be aware, the, the competitiveness in our competition probably just isn't where it needs to be at the moment. I think the Australian teams aren't pulling finger in, the, in that respect. Um, and that's no disrespect, though. I think it's just the reality. Like, you have to look at the success rate and how many wins they've got against New Zealand teams. It's pretty horrendous. And so you know, you're looking at games when New Zealand teams are playing Australian teams. Um, you know, if you're a consumer, you're probably thinking, well, I'm not gonna go watch this game, watch it on TV because I already know the outcome. You know, so I think we have a bit we have had a bit of change in probably the last five years since the competition has left, sorry, since the South Africans have left. And so it's probably been a detriment to the, the quality of the competition. So look I think stressing ideas and trying to innovate and make the, the game a little bit better. I think we have to probably think outside the box a little bit until I uh, until I think the competitiveness, competitiveness, sorry, of the competition is a lot better because at the moment, um, you know, just hearing words and seeing in the media from fans and hearing from fans, um, you know, going to games is a little bit tougher because you know it's it's one sided. in a lot of the last month, you'd have to think you'd have to think a lot of the scores have been one sided due to the fact of not being many derbies and New Zealand teams playing Australian teams and being pretty, beating them pretty convincingly, apart from the Brumbies.
1: Is that something you would talk about? Because obviously there was a period there while you were playing for the Crusaders, but the Aussie teams didn't win for like three years or was it two years whatever it was. It was a long time.
0: I think we understood that, you know, you, you play a derby game and the mindset where you needed to be when we, you play a derby was a little bit different to when you played the Australian teams. Um, Look, you'd go through your due diligence and get your preparation right and, you know, you never um took it for granted. But I think the understanding is knowing that, you know, they're not as strong as New Zealand teams. And so since that trans-Tasman and COVID, you know, this is the third season now and, you know, Australian teams are pretty in a similar position where they're not beating New Zealand teams consistently, apart from the Brumbies. You know, so for the sake of the competition, we kind of need the Australian teams to um, to be a lot more competitive in winning games because, you know, you look at the overseas, you know, the games that you want to watch are the competitive games. And so you look at the, the, the European Championship, you know, you've got teams from different countries being able to, um, to win titles and be competitive in games. So um, to answer your question, you never took them for granted. But At the same time, you know self-awareness and understanding that, you know playing playing someone like the force for example, then playing the crew playing the chiefs, the mentality of where you needed to be was a little bit different.
3: So I mean we're talking about uncertainty of results is mm-hmm. what we want to bring fans back to. I pose the question is that going to, how are you gonna do that with it yeah. being governed like what's so what's the are they going to pull? You know, in terms of you know salary caps and things like that, because obviously the the players are paid out of the national pot, the clubs don't pay them directly. Mm. So, how, how that would all work, I'm not too sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, that's the only way that you can get, or is it players are coming? You know, maybe it's not the traditional New Zealand sides, Aussie sides, is it? You know, players playing in Aussie and Aussie players playing here, or I don't know. Like, because how how are you like? That's not going to solve mm. that. I, what, what we just spoke about then, that's not going to solve
1: it. I've long been to the point of view that as long as you're playing in Super Rugby, and way back to when the South Africans are playing or the Juarez or you know the Sunwolves, as long as you're playing Super Rugby, you should be available for your national team because you're contributing to the competition that feeds the national team. So it shouldn't matter what country you're in because you're playing against players who are going to be in that national team week in, week out. And if that's the case, and an Aussie team decides it's going to go and pay $2 million for Bowden Barrett to get him over there and get them winning, then that's good for the competition. Why are we standing in the way of that?
3: Well, I think there's a lot of you know, legacy and, and I suppose people that have gone before uh, around the All Black jersey. Uh, and I think you, know, you start doing that, then selecting players from overseas, we've had this discussion before, everyone's going to have differing views on it. Um, the reality is, is, I'm sure in time again, mm disruption and change will happen. And, and potentially it may, that may be the first step mm. you know, of that. If you're in Super Rugby Pacific, you have the ability to be selected. I don't know.
1: It can also be the last step because Sanzar runs a competition, New Zealand Rugby has a seat at that board and has the ability to control how far that goes, right?
3: Yeah. I think every stakeholder will, will have the ability, especially moving forward in the way, I suppose, the joint venture is structured, um, but as you can see, there's a, they're crying out um, to have more control so that they can potentially... Um, control
1: the growth of their business and, and
3: their bottom line.
1: Another contribution that we've had from our listeners this week, Jimmy Kipp on YouTube is talking about how he feels that you could enhance the competition by using the provinces more. You know, Obviously, there was a good example a couple of weeks ago with Palmerston North for the Hurricanes. Lots of people turned up for that. At the moment, very few games are heading outside of the main centres, Bryn. And he mm. feels like that is an opportunity lost because there are people outside of the main centres who want to be part of Super Rugby and aren't getting the opportunity. We're cutting out a huge proportion of our population.
0: Yeah, we are. I think there might be some logistics around um, with the home stadiums, you know, the big, you know, look at the Crusaders, for example. I think there's a, you've got to have an X amount of games um, contracted with, with that stadium, you know, I'm not too sure what it'd be like, but I can imagine. You know, the Blues have to have a percentage of where they play at Eden Park, but definitely think it opens the door, which should be opening the door around taking it um, to other provincial unions. You know, um, taking it to Nelson. I know the time when I was out at the Crusaders, we played in Nelson. Um, the fan engagement that we got there, and how happy the. the the players were to be able to go there, you know, we had a lot of guys that played for Tasman and who haven't hadn't been able to play at home, you know, for the Crusaders. So I think being able to go to those rural parts of the, the country, especially for super rugby games, is really important because um yeah sometimes when you do see these bigger stadiums they don't fill out. You know, you could imagine if you take the Pavason North for example, you know, that was a set that was pretty close to a sellout and that was just the force playing the hurricanes, you know. So I think there are ways about a way to be able to um to have more games in I guess the more smaller communities because I think at the same time, it's good as a spectator to be able to see full crowds, whether that's a small stadium or not. Um, If you're if you're outside of looking in, that doesn't watch a lot of Super Rugby, but you see a full stand and say, oh, well, this must be a good brand of footy. Whereas sometimes you see, you know, um, a lot of spare seats in the big stadiums where you're thinking, oh, you know, it's not like the Rugby League. You look at the Warriors, for example, or currently a lot of the NRL sides, they're fully packed games. So, um, yeah, it might be something that we might need to open the doors to get a bit more fan engagement around New Zealand.
1: That's a good point about the NRL. Brookvale Oval only seats less than 10,000 people. It's packed and it makes for a great event. You know, and that's the thing about these provincial stadiums, is they only fit that many people.
3: Yep, yep. Mm. Well, I mean, I'd love to... I would have loved as a player to go back to Oniwa Domain. Blues <laughs> Blues playing <laughs> at Oniwa Domain, that would have been outstanding. But, like,
1: that was only four or 5,000 yeah, people, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that's
3: enough. Yeah. Um, but... And, and as, again, tongue in cheek, I did actually like playing at North Harbour Stadium because that's where I was from and um, it was cool to get back there. And I think, you know, you go back to Andrew Hoard talking about running it as a business, it potentially may get to that point because I'm sure opening Eden Park's a lot more expensive mm. than, say, an opening uh, Toll Stadium. And then they can work out, you know, if, if the numbers are turning up um, and, you know, it's more effective on the bottom line then the better but I'm sure at the end of the day the home stadiums are the home stadiums and as Bryn said there may be contractual obligations that they've got to have a certain amount of games there.
1: I would imagine but I'm sure. And
3: season ticket holders like you do have to Mm. consider that like a lot of the season ticket holders will be in the main area um, and so what impact does that have on your ability to actually generate money from from the, the ticketing?
1: Surely you could sell a season ticket to all of the stadiums.
3: You, you definitely could, but I'm just saying that you potentially may miss out on a lot more because mm. Auckland's got a bigger population if we use the Blues as
1: Yeah, yeah. And you've got to say, like, the Hurricanes had a very good crowd for an afternoon footy game on the weekend, 20-odd thousand. Mm. But also on the flip side of that... We shouldn't be noticing a two-thirds full stadium and saying that's quite a full stadium.
3: Well, yeah, I, but I think it's the time. Like, we we do have to sort of like we've been seeing this for a number of years. Like, people consume a lot differently now. Mm. Um, it's it's proven, um, you know, through evidence. I mean, I know, you know, Sky have got a lot of evidence around how people are consuming and so forth. So, you know, the glory days of full stadiums, you know, except for All Black tests or Black fans tests, um, is few and far between. But when you get to the pointy end of the competition I'm sure there'll be more and more fans and, and hopefully those stadiums will be full um, but it's a reality of um, you know sort of the environment we live in you know the consumer dollar or the yeah. disposable income can only go so far and there's a lot on offer
0: mm. yeah I think also just last week we touched on it I think you know the competitiveness of the competition is probably leading to that as well you know um, take away the Derby games is probably where you see the most fans coming to watch New Zealand games um, at the moment you know, if the competition gets a lot better competitiveness-wise and the Australian teams are winning and there's more, and more of those rivalries because you're not going to know who's going to win the game, I think that's going to add uh, to the fan engagement moving forward. So, like I said, don't want to harp on and have a go at Australian rugby and the teams, but, you know, the sooner that they can start being more competitive and getting wins, I think, you know, fans in New Zealand and consumers will be like, oh, we might go watch this game because, you know, we don't know what the result's going to be.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you very much again, Brent. We'll see you next week. And uh, you can catch us next week right here. We've got a special guest, Sam Tuitupo, former All Blacks midfielder, former Blues midfielder. Jip is particularly excited.
3: Oh, I sure am, the hitman.
1: The hitman, Sam Tuitupo. He is going to be fighting in the fight for life next week. So we'll find out a little bit about boxing. We'll talk a about a midfield. We'll talk a bit about his career, what he's up to in England. We'll catch you all next week on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Matewa.